My name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here, uh, and, and I'm glad to be here with you today. We are starting this new series on the Trinity, five weeks in the Trinity. I'm very excited about that. Uh, because God is just a mystery to us, and this whole concept of the Trinity uh, is really hard to make sense of, but that's the cool thing about God, is that we can't fully understand Him, and that's what gives us this awe and a, and a desire to worship Him, because He's so, so different than we are, so much greater than we can even comprehend. Um, but as we get into today's message, I want you to know that it's kind of going to be introductory We've got five weeks, so if I lease some things out, don't come and, or send me emails or text messages yet about things I've left out. We've got a lot to cover about who God is. In five weeks, he isn't even sufficient to try to cover God, who God is. I think we do that every week, and we can do that every week for the rest of our lives until he comes and gets us. And even in heaven, we're going to learn more and more about God. And so... You know, when talking about something like the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, you start to think of, oh, well, that's for smart people, right? And I want to admit to you that I don't really think that I'm that smart of a person. Um, and so as I am been studying this, I, I don't think you have to be extremely smart or a genius to learn about the Trinity. But as I have been studying this, um, the way my brain works, because it's so empty, because I'm not that smart, like it, you envision some pong paddles, the old pong game, and there's a little ba ball bouncing back and forth. Now, when this was inserted into my mind to try to study for the Trinity, it was like multiples of balls are just banging all around in my head. And so if I start not making sense today, it's because that's what's going on up here, all right? Uh, and because it's really hard to explain something that we can't even comprehend. But with that, I want us to understand that the Trinity isn't just a, a concept, but it is who God is, okay? It's not some, some unreachable, unattainable thing that we can't learn about, but, but we should want to learn about God because this is his very nature. So it's not some theoretical concept. It's a theological concept. You know, and what theological means is, you know, theology means the study of God. And really, as Christians, that's what we should be doing with our lives is, is as we worship him with our mind, the mind that he gave us, we should want to know more about him so that we can love him more, right? Kind of like when, when you get into a relationship, a friendship, or a marriage, you commit to, to getting to know that person for a long time or for the rest of your life, right? And you, you don't ever fully know a person because they have things and secrets sometimes that hopefully wives and husbands, you shouldn't have secrets. But if you do, that's okay because we're all imperfect. But you're trying to find out like more and more information about a person and hopefully that causes you to love them more and more and more. And that's what hopefully this series will do for us um, when talking about the Trinity. <clears throat> now, I want to start off with a verse that really kind of drives home why I believe we should be studying topics like this, like the Trinity. And it's in Deuteronomy 29, 29. So that's a good, good way to memorize where you can go find this. 29, 29. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. 
So what I believe that this is saying is, look, God is, it will never be able to fully find out how God operates. Those things are secret. We're not accountable for knowing those things. But what we are accountable for is what he has revealed to us in his word about himself. And so that is why I believe it is so important to get it right when searching the scriptures and trying to uh, communicate who God is, trying to communicate his nature, trying to understand who he is because we ultimately are accountable for what we believe about God and what we believe about God will come out in the ways that we live and we act and we, we treat and we love other people. We've got to trust in his word that, that what he said about himself is true and there is only one truth out there. I want you to know that in a world where everything uh, seems to have, everybody has their own truth and there's no absolutes. The reality is, is that there's only one truth about who God is. There's only one truth about the gospel. There's only one truth about how the world was created and who created it. And any other opposing or contradictory thoughts or beliefs to that one truth is false then, logically, right? It's false, it's wrong, and therefore damning to believe. That is why I think this is so important that we study the topic of the Trinity. Now, this has been a divisive topic throughout Christianity in, the his, in, in its history. Um, they have been fighting about how to, how to talk about the nature of God since the New Testament. When the New Testament came and God revealed so many different things and the Holy Spirit came down and Jesus in the Gospels himself claims to be God. And then, you know, in the epistles, Paul and, and Peter and John all call him God and call the Holy Spirit God in the book of Acts. Like that caused something in people that they needed. They started arguing and wrestling with these words in the Bible, and it was to try to be able to understand the nature of God. How, how, who is he? How does he work? Um, and how does he exist? And, and so they were fighting over this in the first couple centuries after uh, the apostles or the first disciples had died off, and, and eventually they had to come together and get organized. And so in, in 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea, they, they, they all came together, the Christian leaders at the time, and they all decided that this is how we're going to communicate the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all equally God, but yet different persons, three in one. That's going to be our, in just a moment, I'm going to put that up on the screen so you'll know that that's the definition. But there's a funny story since we're, we're uh, just coming out of Christmas. Um, I've, I've read and reread and researched this story about Santa, about Santa Claus, St. Nicholas, okay? And there's a really good story about Santa punching a heretic in the face. And this is the Santa that I like. <laughs> uh, but so St. Nicholas, the, the legend of, of Santa, a lot of people believe came from this guy named St. Nicholas who in the second and third, or the third and fourth century um, was very gracious, giving guy, and, and there's a whole story behind that. But he was also a bishop. He was a bishop of a certain region, church, in the Christian church. And uh, at this council of Nicaea, this man named Arius, who, who uh, is the one who was opposing the Trinity, he was saying that Jesus was a created being in this council. And that's why they had to come together because there was all this false teaching that was popping up and they needed to eradicate it. And St. Nicholas was so irritated by Arius that he got up and 
slap the guy in the face, and then they drug him out, right? And so, so that is a great tack on to the story of Santa. If you teach Santa to your kids, also say Santa fights for the Trinity, okay? That's a really cool story. I had to share that with you. But out of, yeah, out of the Council of Nicaea, they came up with the Nicene Creed. I want you to go look that up. Um, and, and so what I want the goal of this series to be is, is two things. Number one, for us to know God deep in a deeper way. Number two, I want us to be able to explain and defend the faith like Santa, okay? We want to be able to defend what we believe about who God is. And so let's go to our easy, simple definition the Trinity, there is one God who exists eternally in three persons. One God who exists eternally in three persons. Okay, this is going to be a, a definition we're going to use over and over again. Now, right off of the bat, everybody's thinking in their mind, is that a contradiction? Right? Like, if you're a math person, how does three equal one? Right? Isn't that a contradiction? But... I'm going to show you that, that a contradiction and a paradox are not the same thing. This is more of a paradox, not a contradiction. But let me show you first this, this, this visual example of what I believe or what many uh, communicate what the Trinity is. Okay, You've got Father, you've got Son, you've got Holy Spirit. They're all God. It says God is, right? They, Holy Spirit is God. Son is God. Father is God. They're all equally God. They are not, they're not like part of God, like a third of God. And when you come together, it makes a whole God. No, that's the wrong way of communicating that. No, they're all equally God. They all share the same attributes. The same, they share the same power, authority, and characteristics. Therefore, when Jesus is God, the Bible says the fullness of God dwells in him. And so what this helps us to see is that the Father is not the Son, who is not the Holy Spirit. They're not the same person. They have different roles, different distinctions in the Godhead, but yet all of them are equally God and uniquely united as God, okay? Now, I know you're like, okay, you've already lost me. This is getting really difficult here. And let me, let me just, as you think about it, maybe this is contradictory. I want you to understand a difference between a contradiction and a paradox. A contradiction is when two things cancel each other out. They don't work. It's incompatible. But I don't believe that that's what this is. I think it's more of a paradox. And the definition of a paradox is a statement or group of sentences that seem to contradict what we know while delivering an inherent truth. Okay? So it, seem, it seems to us, because our minds can't fully grasp this, because this is, there's no example of this out in the universe anywhere. Many people have tried to come up with illustrations about the Trinity. I have none for you. I can tell you bad examples of, of, of the Trinity, right, illustrations, like an egg, okay? An egg is three parts. It's a, it's a white, it's a yolk, and it's a shell. But the problem with that, as you have already heard me talk about, is that the shell in and of itself is not the full egg, and it's only useful for one thing. The yolk is is only useful for one thing. And egg whites, although the best part of the egg, and if you're on a diet like me this year, are going to eat a lot of, are 
only one part of the egg. It's not a full egg, so that's a bad illustration. Another one is water. Water can be a liquid, a solid, and a gas, okay? Steam, ice, and, and, and liquid. But that is also heresy <laughs> if we, we try to compare that to God because that is saying that, that it can turn into different things. That one thing, and that is one of the heresies called modalism, which maybe we'll get into later, but believes that God um, is one being who turns himself into different things, turns himself into Jesus, turns himself into the burning bush, turns himself into the angel of the Lord. That is, again, a bad and wrong heretical illustration. So there are no illustrations about this, but that is what makes us be in awe and wonder of God. You know, that is what makes me look at, wow, like this is, this is amazing. But a paradox, back to the paradox thing, I, I wrote a couple of um, sentences down that are paradoxical, but yet true. If I know one thing, it's that I know nothing, right? That's true, but it seems to contradict itself, right? And that's, that's me in explaining the Trinity. Another one, this is the beginning of the end, the beginning of the end. Deep down, you're really shallow, right? Maybe you've heard somebody say that to you. Just because it seems contradictory does not mean that it's true. God is a paradox, but as we look into his word, because we don't just uh, philosophize and, and, and theorize who God is, we have to look at his word. And if we, as Christians, one of the doctrines that we believe is that the word of God is infallible and errant and it's sufficient to give us everything that we need to know about who God is and how to live the life that God has called us to live. And so as we look at scripture, we're going to find proof that although this seems hard for us to grasp, it's true. And I want to go right to the very first verses of the Bible in Genesis. If you are in that, that, that Bible reading plan, which I hope you'll sign up for today, uh, you're only a day late, but you can go sign up. We just read yesterday uh, Genesis chapter 1. It says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, and then God said, let there be light. And the reason why I think this is so um, amazing, this is, this, is, this is profound, is that all three members of the Trinity are right there from the beginning verses of the Bible. You've got God the Father, who is, who is the authoritative creator. You've got the Spirit of God, uh, the different person of the Trinity who, who's hovering over the waters. And then if we understand the rest of the Bible, because you have to use the Bible to interpret the Bible, you go to the New Testament in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and nothing was created that hasn't been created through Him, through the Word. Jesus Christ is called the Word, okay? The Logos, the Word. And so the creative power happened through the Father, but, or to, from the Father, through Jesus to create everything. There's many verses to back this up, and I don't have time to look at it all right now, but I want to quote Wayne Grudem in Systematic Theology when explaining this. It says, when the universe was created, God the Father spoke the powerful creative words that brought it into being. God the Son was the divine agent who carried out these words, and God the Holy Spirit was active, moving over the face of the waters. All right, so there he is right there. 
And if all three members of the Trinity were in there in the beginning, then it would suggest that they are all eternal, not created beings that came from the Father later, the Spirit and the Son, but they were all eternal. Many verses in the Bible support this idea. And again, Wayne Grudem goes on to say, so it is as we would expect, if, there are, if all three members of the Trinity are equally and fully divine, then they have all three existed for all eternity. And God has eternally existed as a trinity. Now, that is a, that is a deep statement, and there's a lot of implications to that. One I just want to throw out there is, you know, the Bible, people say it all the time, God is love. How could God be love if he was alone for eternity until he created space and time? Love, you know has to emanate from and be shared with someone. But the great thing about the Trinity is, is that God has been in relationship, in community with himself for eternity. He loves the Son. He lo they love each other. There's, and so when, when you say God is love, I believe that's one of the best definitions we can understand to think about what that means, how powerful that is. God is love because he's always loved. Again, trying to fully understand this is going to drive us a little bit bonkers and crazy. One person said this, The mind of a man cannot fully understand the mystery of the Trinity. He who has tried to understand the mystery fully will lose his mind, but he who would deny the Trinity will lose his soul. Now the question for us is, are we okay with not knowing everything about how it works, but, but accepting the mystery of who God is and worshiping God because of his mysterious nature that we don't fight quite fully grasp or understand. Because that's my second point. God's nature is a mystery to us because God is fundamentally different than us. He is completely different than us. Yes, the Bible says he created us in his image, but only in one sense, only in, not in his full sense, only in a limited sense are we created in God's image. He is other than us, Isaiah 57, 15, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity. The holy one says this, I live in a high and holy place. Now we can't even grasp what eternity means. We are finite beings and creatures. We can't grasp what eternity means. We live... Uh, led by a clock. Our lives are in slavery to time. Okay, so we can't understand eternity or heaven, which is what he's talking about. We can't understand a sinless world where everything is perfect, right? And so let alone can we understand God being three in one, right? And that is why he deserves worship. In Revelation chapter 4, the whole chapter is about you know, the throne room of God and seeing who he is. And it says, and instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and, and someone sitting on it. And, 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 and if you go read, it talks about all these wonderful colors emanating from the throne. And, and there were four living beings that are completely other than what we could imagine of some kind of creature on earth worshiping. And it says day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and is still to come. Holy, that's what that word means, is set apart other than, right? Other than us. God is holy, holy, three times holier than us. And I think also there in that description of the worship of God, 
three times holy would mean that God is three in one, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, holy. If we go on, Job 11, in his humility, he talks about, can you solve the mysteries of God? Can you discover everything about the Almighty? And I believe this is how we have to be when approaching Scripture and figuring out the nature of God. We need humility, like Job and his friend as they're discussing things about God. Can we grasp it? No, God is a mystery. Romans eleven thirty three. how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Who could completely understand it? No one can. No one can. But does that mean it's not true? No. It means that we are limited. Can we answer all the questions? Why is he the way he is? Why does he do what he does? Why does he allow what happens out there in their world? Well, we can't fully know, but we do know what he's revealed to us, and we're accountable to that. But the question again is, will we trust his words, and are we okay surrendering to the mysteries of God? God is working for our good and his glory, and so he can be trusted. He's proven he can be trusted, just not fully understood, but while we can say that you can't know God fully, you can know him truly. You can know him by truth. And the truth is what he's revealed to us. And so if you want to know the triune God, we go to the Bible. And this is my last point where we're going to find the Trinity. Although the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, which someone can make a case about and, you know, kind of throw a fit or whatever because I already explained that the Trinity came, the wording came, you know, a century or two or three after the Bible. They've always explained God to be triune, three in one, right? The idea of God being three in one is found throughout its pages. Let's look at some verses. Matthew 28, 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, you've heard this verse many times if you've come to this church. It's one of my favorite verses. It talks about making disciples, but you want to know uh, what I believe and what the apostles and the disciples would have known this to meant for them. It meant, when I go make disciples, make sure that we teach them that they are believing in a triune God. When I baptize them, make sure that their faith is in a God who is three in one. Make sure that they believe that Jesus himself is God, which in the verse before it, in verse 18, it says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, and no one has all authority in heaven on earth except for God himself, right? And so then again, Jesus, right out of his mouth, explains, and he says the Trinity. This is part of the requirements of being baptized into the Christian faith is not fully understanding the Trinity, but accepting and believing in the Trinity and also believing that Jesus is God. Jesus taught Trinitarianism. Let's look at another verse in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, he's ending his letter to the Corinthians, and if you know anything about that church, he was, he was very practical with them, Paul, in writing that letter in that book. 
And he was teaching them about how they shouldn't act and how they should act. And, and, and in this ending, he is basically giving them a rundown of how God will work in you and through you and with you using the Trinity. It says, may the grace of the Lord, may the forgiveness and the kindness, may you apply the death of Christ to you by faith alone. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May the love of the Father be with you. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the one who God put inside of us to give us the gifts to have fellowship. That's what the church is. The church is made up of believers who have the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwelling in them. And they come and they have fellowship together. And we all have our gifts and we make them all work together. That is what Paul is saying. Use the Trinity in your church to continue moving forward in your faith. And you can also see that they have different roles. Different roles in the Trinity, as we kind of explained earlier. They're not the same person in the Trinity. They all have different roles. And there are some submissive roles, and there is some authority roles, and, but doesn't mean that they're not equal. It just means that they have a, a plan in which they operate, right? It's called the economic Trinity. How does, how does it work? How does it apply to the world? How does God do things? How does it work in salvation? And this is my last verse. 1 Peter 1, 2. This is what he says. He's, he's writing this letter, second verse to them, wanting them to understand the Trinity and how he works in their lives. And it says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Right there, he is explaining the way of salvation. That sometime long ago in, in Ephesians 1, which is going to be the series we do after the Trinity, we're going to look at Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, it says, before the foundation of the world, the Father chose you. Now that's a mystery we can't fully understand either, right? But we believe and we worship. It says, God the Father chose you from before he even created the world, somewhere in eternity past, in his heart and his mind, if you were a believer, you were there in his heart and his mind. He knew what he had to do to get you and to save you. Mystery. Don't know how that works. And then it says, his spirit has made you holy. And part of what a lot of people don't understand about salvation is that a person can't even really come to God or understand God without the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to us before we ever have that moment of faith and makes us alive. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. The Holy Spirit comes and regenerates us, makes us alive so that we are able to make things click now. And through the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God, uh, we start hearing the love of Jesus, the gospel, that he died on the cross for my sins. And now the Holy Spirit is connecting that in our hearts and our minds and our spirit. You see the different roles that God has in working out the salvation of even in our souls? It's so amazing to me. And then, obviously, the last one then is, once the Father's chosen you and the Spirit has come, into you, come to you to make you alive, then... You've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior through faith. When he shed his blood on the cross and he died 
for you and me because of the sins, because of our unholiness, because we are not like God and we can't meet his standard. Because of all the things that we have done that go against him when we don't worship him, when we worship idols and things out there in the world, and we don't give him the proper due worship that he deserves, the respect that he deserves, that we've sinned against him, but out of God's divine love and plan from eternity past, the Trinity says, I love those people, and we're going to work together to save them. Isn't that amazing? So my question, my last and final question for you is, will this cause you to reflect more on getting to know God, on worshiping God? Will this cause you and help you to understand the Trinity and to be able to go explain it to people who don't believe it? Explain it to your family and friends. Defend the faith. This is why we are teaching on the Trinity. And I pray that you and me will learn to worship this God more fully as we come to know him more fully. Now, today is the last, or no, <laughs> the first Sunday of the month. And we always take communion on the first Sunday of the month. And it's also the first Sunday of the year. So it's a very special time today. And as you walked in, um, you may have seen that there are cups out there that have the juice and the wafer. If you didn't grab one, we have some up front. And what we're going to do today is remember exactly what the Trinity did for us, what God did for us in this verse here, by the blood of Jesus Christ. If we go and look at this verse in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul explains it to us by recounting the night before Jesus was crucified, what communion is and represents. It says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. And so today, the first Sunday of the year, let us worship God. We're going to do it in song, but let us also worship him in, in obedience and doing what he said to do, remembering what he did for us by Jesus coming to die on the cross for you and me. So you don't have to be an Alpine member to take this with us, but the Bible does say that you should examine yourself, see if you're in the faith, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, maybe it's your first time today after hearing the truth of God's word today and the Holy Spirit may have connected some things for you today. If you want that to be your first act of faith, then please take communion with us today. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, Father, God, you are so amazing. We are in such awe of you and how you work. We don't fully understand it. You're a mystery, but God, we're okay with that. I want to profess that, that all of us here today, if we're in agreement, we're okay with you being a mystery. In, in fact, we, we love it. You, there's so much about you to find out and figure out we could never do it in this lifetime, but it gives us a purpose. It gives us um, 
something to look forward to every day when we wake up in the morning and we want to just open your word. When we come to church and gather together and we hear your word preached or your word sung, God, to know you is what we want and to be known by you. So God, thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross. We do worship Jesus as God. Holy Spirit, we worship you as you help us worship you. God, today we just stand in awe of you. I pray as we take communion today that we really truly remember and we really truly worship you with our whole hearts. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.